Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. Uh, Taking care of widows and orphans was a big deal back then because the widows and the orphans were not able to take care of themselves. This was a man's world. This was a man's society, so they couldn't go out and get jobs. They couldn't go out and start a business. They couldn't go out and get a bunch of other things going, so somebody had to take care of them, and Dorcas took it upon herself to take care of those who couldn't take care of themselves. A disciple did that. together on this Mother's Day, I want to talk a little bit about especially handmade, Mm. especially handmade. Past couple weeks, those of you all who uh, spend time on social media, uh, myself included, may have noticed there's a game going on, Uh, the I'm old game. (laughs) Yes, the I'm old. Old game, And the way people are playing this game is they are posting statuses where they will say I'm and then fill in the blank and then end with old. And whatever you fill in the blank with is supposed to be able to let people know how old you are. I'm, I gotta be home before the street lights turn on old. I'm, I know how to use a rotary telephone old. I'm, the TV only had three channels old. I'm, TV used to go off at night old. I'm, SNH green stamps old. I'm, I used to churn my own butter old. I'm go outside and get me three chickens to kill before dinner time. I'm go outside and pick your switch old. All of these things are to tell the people something to relate to them, to understand uh, when they grew up and what is what is what is unique to that group of people. Uh, one that caught my attention for this sermon was, I'm everything in my house is handmade old. Somewhere around 60 to 75 years ago and before that, most people tried to avoid buying manufactured things from stores because they were expensive. And instead, you knew somebody that could make it for you or you could make it yourself at home. Mom made the family's clothes on a singer sewing machine. Clothes were washed in a tub and scrub board. And if the clothes developed a tear, Mama sewed them back together. She even darned socks. You know, I looked up the etymology of that word, and I thought that was for something that people would say when they were trying to avoid cussing. 
But the actual definition in the dictionary says to darn something means to mend it together. It's a verb when you mend it together and what you use to plug a hole when you mend some clothes together is called a darn. And so she darned socks. She stitched them together. She didn't throw them away. She darned them. Or if they were too holy, make a hook rug out of them and pile of other useless socks. Uh, your family didn't buy store-bought clothes. They were handmade. I have uh, a blanket at home, a comforter, uh, sewn by one of my relatives that is in her 90s. It's all put together. I ain't throwing that away. People didn't go out to buy bread during these times. They baked them. They made bedspreads and blankets and quilts. Dad didn't buy furniture. He made the kitchen table, the sideboards and the cupboards. Uh, I know some people in the room right now that I could look around and can tell you probably started off when you were younger in a one or a two bedroom house. But as the family grew on, you didn't buy a bigger house. Some folks got together with some plyboard and some two by fours and you added additional rooms to the house as the family got bigger. And if your family needed things and the family couldn't provide, you didn't go to the store, you went to your neighbors. Maybe you needed eggs. You went to the neighbor with the hens. We could probably go across the street from that lot right now if we wanted some eggs with the hens on the other side of the street. But you go to the neighbor with the hens. If you needed plates and cups, you went to the potter. Yes, sometimes you go to the store to buy new things, but as much as possible, many of us grew up with people making the things themselves. That was a while back. But around about the 50s and the 60s, a huge transition took place, which America started buying things and being affluent. And so the affluent builder generation uh, became that it became that their children, the baby boomers, uh, rejected materialism in everything that it was for. Uh, to make a long story short, there was a corporate policy that came before that was called planned obsolescence. Uh, and it renewed its interest and, and demand uh, in these things because planned obsolescence made you stop trusting things that weren't handmade. Let me, let me walk down your row. Yeah, you, you, you got a cell phone in your pocket. And it seems like every time the new cell phone comes out, the cell phone in your pocket stops working. Every time you get a new computer, when the newer computer comes out, six months later, something's wrong with your computer. Uh, you buy a new car, and you get, a let's say, a five-year note on it. And maybe a five-year warranty. But after that fifth year, one day into that fifth year, it seemed like the transmission want to fall out right then. Planned obsolescence. We can't 
sell you the best and the brightest and the greatest because then you'd only buy it one time. And as uh, theologian Chris Rock used to say, <laughs> the money is in the comeback. Yeah. The real money is in the comeback. But because the real money is in the comeback for those people who make these things, people, there's been a renewed interest around the world in handmade items, handcrafted items, things especially handmade to work, especially if they're creative and high quality. Some of these items may cost a little more, but people are willing to pay. Today, people will pay for a mother of pearl earrings from Costa Rica, uh, a man-made purse from Tibet, a teak wood jewelry box from Tyran, a didgeridoo from somebody who made it in Australia, a quilt, a quilt that a grandma made, a, a hand-painted ceramic platter, uh, these things, leather purses from Florence, and handmade Italian shoes. Perhaps you'll buy pottery from a potter. Uh, or commission a cabinet maker to build new kitchen cabinets for you. People love the handmade stuff because the handmade stuff lasts. And there was somebody in your reading that made things with their hands. Uh, Somebody by the name of Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. Dorcas made these handcrafted items and of course it wasn't so rare then. That's what everybody did. But everybody liked Dorcas because she made these things. She stood out. Her work was of great quality and she worked on behalf of the poor. Uh, When death took her, the entire community realized that it had lost a valuable resource. I'll say that again. When death took Dorcas, the entire community realized they had lost a valuable resource. They say that the third time's a charm. When death took Dorcas, the entire community realized they had lost a valuable resource. There were Dorcas's deeds. Let the church say deeds. This godly woman, it says in verse six, uh, verse thirty-six, was a, a certain uh, disciple. <clears throat> verse thirty-six says at Joppa there was a certain disciple. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated. Dorcas. This godly woman performed wonderful works during her life and for all the Bible scholars that want to try to parse the Greek and the English the same Greek word they used for Acts 9.36 to say disciple is the same Greek word they use in Matthew Mark and Luke and John to describe Peter and James and John and uh, disciple. Ain't no parsing around it. Disciple. Just like one of the 12, this is not a slip of the tongue. This is not a slip of the pen. This is not some translation error that needed to be corrected. They specifically refer to this woman as a disciple. Dorcas, the name means, it means means gazelle in the Greek and Aramaic is a nimble creature, one pretty quick and one light on their feet. And this nimble, quick, light on her feet person did works for the poor. And death took her. Let the church say death. Uh, She 
becomes ill and dies. And the response of the community uh, uh, to Dorcas's death gives us pause. When we die, surely there's going to be a circle of family and friends around us, people who miss us and want to mourn our absence. This is only natural and may be primarily related to the family and relational bonds. But will your circle be wider than that? Will, uh, the, will there be a wider circle in the community that is adversely affected by your absence because of the impact of your lives and your ministry on the community? Uh, the text mentioned the things that Dorcas has made. The widows were showing what Dorcas had made. She had made something in the community. She had had some standing in the community because she connected to those around her. Uh, taking care of widows and orphans was a big deal back then because the widows and the orphans were not able to take care of themselves. This was a man's world. This was a man's society, so they couldn't go out and get jobs. They couldn't go out and start a business. They couldn't go out and get a bunch of other things going, so somebody had to take care of them, and Dorcas took it upon herself to take care of those who couldn't take care of themselves. A disciple did that. Uh, so she has some standing in the community. Dorcas had a track record, and Dorcas had some fruit. Some people could say that she affected them, and not only could these people say that she affected them, they were willing to testify to it. If you don't want to talk about yourself individually, let's make it a little bigger. I'll, I'll get off your toes for now. Does your church have a long-lasting impact in the community, or would it, be not, would it not be missed if the doors were to close tomorrow? Uh, we, we, we talk about what the church should be doing, but everywhere you see the word in Greek, ecclesia, for church, everywhere you see church in English in the Bible, they use ecclesia, never talks about a building. Everywhere you see church in the Bible, they are not talking about a building. You ought to be the church. Ah, yes, and so we have the deeds that she's done and our people to testify for, and then she loses her life. So we see the, de the death of Dorcas, but then we go from de death to deliverance. Let the church say deliverance. deliverance. Uh, the text says in verse 38 that uh, when, or well not when, um, 37 rather, when she dies, uh, but it happened in those days, she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. When uh, they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Uh, why you keep bringing that up, that they washed her and laid her in an upper room? I'm glad you asked, because that's not common. The common thing to do during the Bible times when somebody passed away was to wash them and go put them in a tomb. Washing was common. Taking somebody upstairs was not. Not only was it wasn't to try to hold the body over like we do so that our family can come in from out of town two, three weeks later before we put somebody in the ground. They, no, they don't hold the body over. If somebody passes on a Friday night or a Friday afternoon, they're trying to get that body in the tomb by Friday sundown. But they took her to the upper room. 
They took her to the upper room because they were going to see somebody that they knew could raise the dead. Peter was in Joppa. Or no, Peter was in Lydia, rather, which is about 10 miles or so from Joppa. So the other disciples that were with the disciple, uh, the disciple Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, went to go get another disciple by the name of Jesus because they believed and had faith that a miracle could be done. There was no need to put the body in the tomb because they were operating off of faith. Everywhere you want to look in the Bible for a miracle to happen, there's some instructions. All the way back to Genesis when they told Abraham to get out of his country, leave his homeland. Moses had some instructions to follow. Even when Jesus wanted to uh, turn the water into wine, he told the people, go get him some water. There are some instructions when the widow was with the prophet in, in uh, the, uh, Isaiah, not Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, Elijah, they had to go get as many jars as they possibly could to fill with oil. It's one thing to say that the Lord will provide. It's a whole other thing to act like it's going to happen. We spend a lot of time talking about what we are going to do, but we need to act like it's going to happen. Is our actions, our actions matching our faith? They had some confidence in what was going on. They understood that there was a God that would never leave them for forsake them. They understood that they were the head and not the tail. They understood that they were above and not believed. They understood that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will carry them out. They didn't take Dorcas to the tomb because they knew that a miracle was about to take place. And not only did they know that a miracle was going to take place, they acted like it. Washing was common, but taking them upstairs was not. They were willing to act on their faith. Are you willing to act on your faith? A while back in 1990, <coughs> uh, my freshman year at Prairie View A&M University, I had enrolled in school. I got accepted. I had sent my my ACT scores down. I sent them to some other schools too, but I ended up at Prayer View. And I didn't realize because I went to high school in Indiana that I was supposed to take another test in order to be entered into uh, my regular classes. So I thought, you know, being an electrical engineering major, I was getting ready to sign up for my calculus and, and my physics and, and my chemistry, and I was all ready to go. And when I went into the baby dome and spent all day working my way down the baby dome and getting down to the front where they were uh, signing people in at the computer, and the lady that was right in front of me took her lunch break right in front of me. And ate the filet of fish with the medium fry and the high sea orange and the apple pie right in front of me. Right in front of me. While I was waiting all day to get registered, and I finally get up to sign up for my classes, and, and I'm, you know, I've got my physics and my 
calculus and analytical geometry and all these hard classes ready to go. And they say, no, we can't put you in that. Uh, you don't have your task test on file. What's that? Oh, that's a test you got to take to get into colleges in Texas. Okay, then, well, we're going to put you in remedial math and remedial English and remedial science and, 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 and uh, you'll deal with those until you take that task test. Now, I don't encourage skipping class. I don't encourage that, but I, I'll be the first to tell you I, I don't know who taught those classes because I ain't go to them. I signed up for the task test the very next week, took the test, passed the test, walked out. They gave us about four hours to take the test. I was finishing about an hour and a half, took the test, handed it to the teacher, walked on out, and she said, I, I think you'll be back. I said, no, <laughs> and I ain't looked back since because I knew who I was. And just because somebody else said that I was remedial don't mean that I actually am remedial. It's not what you're called. It's what you answer to. I did not waver in that. We ought not waver when we go to God for something. If we know what his word says, if we know that he's not a man that he shall lie, nor the son of man that he should seek cause to repent, if we know that his word does not return to him void, we ought to be able to stand on his word if we can't stand on anything else. Exercise some faith and do something about it. I can imagine it would have been strange with everybody on the outside knowing that Dorcas had died and nobody willing to take her to the tomb. What's wrong with them? It's time to go to the tomb. Why they ain't took her? She's still upstairs? They waiting on somebody named Peter to come save this? It's one thing to have faith, but we also got to act upon that faith. And not only do we need to act upon that faith, when Peter got word, Peter went to Joppa. Peter didn't say, well, you know, y'all get a committee together and do a little study on whether or not I should go to Joppa to fix this. Or, or, or no, I don't need to go to Joppa to fix this. Y'all need to bring Dorcas to me. My Bible say come out from among them. I got, got quiet in here. Got, got real. No, Peter was willing to go out to do the work of the Lord. He was willing to go to Joppa. He didn't wait for them to bring Dorcas to him. Somebody else left Joppa to do the work of the Lord somewhere to spread the word of God. Somebody y'all might have heard of him by the name of Jonah uh, going to Nineveh. He asked to go out. Peter had to go out. Peter had to be willing to go out. Christianity is a contact sport. Uh, Peter was doing what, what he was told in Acts 1 and 8 by Jesus when he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and to Samaria and to the end of the earth. Peter was willing to go. Are we willing to go? Ah, and I like it when he got there. 
when, when he got there, first of all, he went. He traveled those miles. And when he got there, it says, Peter arose and went to them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics, the things that Dorcas had made for them, and the garments. But verse 40 says, Peter put them out. We ought to be putting some people out. Some people that expect us to still be the way we were in our past. We got to be willing to put them out. Things that are destroying our relationship with God, we ought to be willing to put them out. Things that are coming between us and being what God has called us to be, we ought to be able to put them out. Even if it's just for a season. Because they came back in. He showed them, he should, Peter showed Dorcas to the people. But sometimes when we need that move of God, when we need God to do the unexpected, the amazing, the unexplainable, sometimes we got to put the people out. Uh, he put them out and then the next thing he did was pray. We are, the Bible says, to be anxious for nothing, but through much prayer and supplication to let our requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will be upon us. We got to be willing to pray. Uh, And so Peter put the people out and he prayed and then he raises Tabitha up at her own funeral. Instructions to be followed and people to be put out and some prayer to be had to have a miracle. He was willing to go. What if Peter had not gone? Is there a Joppa in our lives that we need to be going towards? Is there some place where we're sitting around waiting on something to come to us when we need to be going out to it? Hmm. And so there is a miracle in my favorite verse of this whole passage. Even though I like that Dorcas is a disciple, a woman referred to as a disciple. Even though I like that, even though I like that Dorcas had some impact in the community, there were people that could speak for what she did. Even though I like that Peter was willing to travel to go do the work of the Lord and not expect the work of the Lord to come to him. Even though I like that Peter was putting the people out that were coming between him and the work of the Lord. I like that he prayed. My favorite verse of this pericope, this passage, is verse 43. Uh, It says, so he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Peter stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. I like the book of Acts because it's going through uh, uh, the historical record of the church, but some things are changing. And this is the beginning of a change for Peter. Peter, a devout Jew, Uh, a tanner is somebody who kills and skins animals for different uses. Peter, a devout Jew, 
is not supposed to touch dead things or be around blood or, or, or things that are dead. Peter has been through chapter 9 and chapter 10 breaking all the rules in order to do what Jesus had told him to do. Ah, a Jew, a devout Jew, not supposed to touch dead things, not supposed to touch things that aren't clean. Uh, the passage before you're hearing, he heals a paralyzed person that had been lying on the ground. If he paralyzed and he can't move and he lying on the ground, I would imagine he's not clean. Peter interacts with somebody that's not clean. Dorcas, I, I, I'm going back to the text. Uh, it, it says, verse 37, in those days, she became sick and died. You ain't supposed to touch dead things. Okay. It says, Peter prayed and turning around to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and saw Peter and she sat up. Then he gave her his hand. Peter touched something else that wasn't clean. And so he's healed a paralyzed person. He's touched a dead person, and now he's going to go stay in the house with somebody who kills animals for a living. Those things would have made him unclean. This is setting the stage for some things that are happening. All these things that are supposed to be unpure, and Peter is supposed to keep himself pure. Mm -hmm. But this is the thing that Jesus sent him to do to reach out to the least, the last, and the lost. Amen. We got to be willing to touch those who are unclean. All right. If we want to try to save some souls Amen. for Jesus, we have to be willing to touch some things unclean. Uh, uh, hats off to mothers. Hats off to mothers because uh, uh, parenthood has taught me that I got to touch some things that are unclean. Mama done had to wipe a nose and, and, and wipe a butt more than once. But we got to be willing to touch those things that are unclean, touch those things that we think are messy. We got to come in contact with some people that we would have never come in contact before. Christianity is a contact sport. These things that Peter is not supposed to touch to keep himself pure and clean and spotless. He had to touch. He had to deal with over and over and over again. And this thing Jesus sent the disciples to do, not just the disciples in the Bible, but us disciples today, we are all disciples of Jesus Christ, is messy. And we got to be willing to be around messy people. I can imagine it being messy born of a virgin. I can imagine it being messy, being beat with a cat of nine tails. I can imagine it being messy, carrying a cross to Galilee. I can imagine it being messy over and over again, dying and being placed in a borrowed tomb. But because Jesus was willing to be messy for us, we got to be willing to be messy for others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. 
If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook.